0: What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the channel. Welcome back to our weekly Thursday live streams with your your own Justin O, your own personal hedge fund analyst friend who likes to talk stocks and investing in crypto and basically everything under the sun. Uh, probably not politics, though, uh, with all of you. So thank you so much for joining, and let's get into it. You know, it's not the most exciting time in the markets. Um, I think it's good for us to see a few... You know, strong days in the market. The NASDAQ was up about a percent today. Um, the SP rose almost half a percent. Um, and treasury ten-year treasury yields fell slightly to to one point six two percent. Uh, it seems like treasury yields are stabilizing, uh, and that fear, at least for now, is a bit qualmed. So therefore, tech stocks have, you know, recovered a bit, and I think they're acting a little bit choppy. Um, You know, another thing that I had in my notes uh, today was that, uh, yeah, U.S. Treasury yields have been slipping through April, and they're now about 12 basis points below where we were at, like, kind of peak panic on tech stocks uh, at 1.74%. And, uh, you know, Francis Yared uh, from Deutsche Bank did some due diligence on their forecast. The bottom line, they basically think that yields remain on track for higher yields. So we should still expect a higher inflation, higher yield environment going forward. Um, and with the data and reflation uh, proxies consistent with U.S. Treasury yields close to 3%, and the, their year-end forecast remains at 2.25% on the 10-year Treasury. So the macroeconomists, the people paid a lot of money just to look at the macroeconomic data, believe that uh, you, uh, yields will continue to go up from here in a meaningful amount, right? So uh, take this time, catch your breath, make sure your uh, your your portfolios are well balanced. I think right now I am, you know, I, th- I think we are in this kind of 50-50 chop market uh, where I like to think of uh, the market in four groups. The first group is... Uh, expensive technology stocks that have gotten less expensive, and so these are the ones that are were very expensive. They have come down quite a bit, and they are still very expensive. So um, you know, I, I like I've been I've been beating up on uh, Shopify stock for a long time, and you know it, you know it, it hasn't really played out. I mean, it's been relatively flat since I've been beating up on them last August, but um, yeah, I mean, they were expensive back in February and when they were almost 1500 per share. And at 1200 per share, they're still pretty expensive. Uh, the second category of stock that I would categorize is a growth stock that has unfairly been sold off to levels where they're starting to get really interesting. Um, included in this bucket are some Chinese tech stocks. We own some in the ROC Big Board at a couple cents.com. You can go check it out there. Um, you know, I think those are ones that I think you can start dollar cost averaging into if you haven't already, we've been dollar costing average, we've been dollar cost averaging into those already on the Roke big board. Um, and then kind of somewhere in between the first two categories, I believe are ones that are kind of fairly priced, right? Like, um, I don't want to name any names, but you know, I think a lot of their, the, the tech growth stocks are now have come down to relatively fairly priced. And then on the value side, I think you have uh, the the traditional cyclical value names that have rallied because of the reopening trade, and because everybody's like, "Oh, we're reopening, so everybody should go back to movie theaters. They should go back to, um, they should go back to, I don't know, cruise lines, etc., airlines, right?" But when you actually look at the cyclicality of such, I mean, let's look at one right here, right? Uh, actually, let me share my screen. Share my screen. Boom, share. Uh, Let's look at uh, like, let's look at an airline. Let's look at um, American Airlines. Highly levered name. It's one of the, it's always one of the highest uh, indebted airlines in the, uh, in the industry. And so you look at it on an enterprise value to EBITDA basis. So for those of you new here, welcome. First of all, welcome. Don't forget to hit that like button. Um, Really appreciate it. Helps me with the algorithm and helps the channel. Helps all as possible. Um, And don't forget to subscribe if you're new here. Uh, And so enterprise value to EBITDA. So that means the, the company's value. Let me zoom in for you. I know live streams, we lose a bit of quality loss. But enterprise value is the value of the company. EBITDA is an industry term for cash profits. And so when we go to here, right? This is a crappy cyclical business. It should trade at five times EBITDA, right? That's American Airlines for you. And, you know, yeah, sure. I understand the kind of, you know, uh, what I would say, like back in the cycle of 99, people looked in retrospect and said, uh, you knew it was a bubble because everyone, every taxi driver would talk to you about stocks and tell you about the next hot dot com stock pick or yeah. And. So what I'm saying is there's no it's not a pejorative on taxi drivers it's just you know that's that was that's the cultural reference back there for, for Wall Street just for those of you uh, curious um, you know when you have that kind of logic of oh i like this stock because people are going to go back to airlines like that's what we call fir- first order thinking we've talked about this a couple times before on the channel and but you look at the data and even if you do believe right 50% growth 40% growth 13% growth and a recovery they basically recover over the next uh two to two and a half years to where they were kind of a few years ago then you you see that they're actually trading at more than double the valuation of where they were before the pandemic started and it's a crappy business so that's what i'm talking about a uh a, an overpriced value stock does that make sense and then you have, I think, value stocks that are interesting. And we're taking a look at them on the ROIC big board. Um, I'll probably do some public videos on it, but roke members obviously will have a chance to, to know the research first, and then we'll wait a little bit, and then we'll do a public video on it. And um, yeah, I think there are some out there, but yeah, under undervalued stocks aren't that easy to come by. So just, you know, I think um, that's something that I'm I'm looking at. It's, you know, I think- the, the, the real fat pitches are a little bit rare in this type of market, but they're out there. They're clearly out there. I think we we're, were thinking about one or two already um, that look really interesting. So before we dive into kind of, uh, we talked about the markets, talked about categorizing into four things. And just to summarize, there are uh, expense, like there are growth stocks that were really expensive that are now less expensive, but still expensive there are growth stocks that were expensive or that were attractive before and now have come down to levels that are really attractive so so i'm not saying get out of growth stocks i would just shift to the second bunch and then on the value stocks there are value stocks that seem under like like they would be good cyclical value plays on the first surface level but when you look into the valuation they're over they're overvalued or you have to look through cycle for any sort of valuation and Uh, the fourth category is, um, what was the fourth credit? Oh yeah. Like under like value stocks that actually look interesting and, uh, or that are fairly priced, but aren't fully baked in because, uh, of a certain thing. So, uh, FY that's, yeah, that's, that's where I categorize the four buckets right now in this very choppy environment. So, big emphasis, and I've written this in Morning Sense, big emphasis on single stock selection. That's something that is extremely important, especially in this environment. I think some of you, some of you are new to investing. um, And you know, I I remember five years ago, there's almost like, I mean, there was always a point of single stock selection. There will always be a point of single stock selection. But like when everything's kind of grinding up with low volatility, The stock market's boring. Everybody just pours into ETFs and everything goes up in tandem and you just buy the fang and then that'll give you a really, really good return. Um, Cool. So Wuba Wuba in the chat, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. You're asking about Fubo. I haven't looked at Fubo in a while but uh, I did a dedicated big research run on Fubo uh, and I did a, a YouTube video on it. So definitely check that out on my channel And, uh, before we dive into it, I want to just say, you know, this, these, this content by an actual hedge fund guy and, you know, my, like taking my opportunity costs and letting like doing all this work to help everyone is first of all, brought to you by you, all all of you that smash that like button. And so thank you so much for being here. And most of all, uh, those that support me at a couple cents.com and we're building a really great uh community there. So definitely consider checking us out. So joining ROIC where you uh I'm trying to build basically a an amazing product where we're doing real fundamental research on stocks. Everyone else can post research on stops, stocks. Um, you get to see my favorite stock picks, you get to see the ROIC big board with all of our holdings. And again, I'm not gonna be the best performer in the world, I just I am me and I perform how I think I'll perform is better than most. Um, we just added a DCF calculator. So I walked roach members on how to use it. And you basically can can value any stock on your own. And so definitely check that out. We do stock screens and all that stuff. And just a lot of content, right? A lot of content. And we also do two dedicated private streams uh, every single week for Roek members only. Just to get all the There's so many questions that come up. So just... Consider joining, supporting the content. Also, we're sponsored by Fundrise, which is my favorite way to invest in real estate, private, uh, diversified, private equity-style real estate. Definitely check them out. Link in the description. All links are in the description. And um, yeah, and we talked about BlockFi. How cool was that interview? You guys missed it. I don't think the algorithm's picking it up, but we got the director of institutional services at BlockFi, who is a brand new sponsor of the channel. um, On the on on the channel and he was very very open and just talked very very honestly and the reason why you know I I'm a, you know I allowed them into our sponsorship and we've only had two ever and I, like I said I'm very picky with sponsors um, and I have tens of thousands of dollars just to test it out for you for a few a couple months actually um, you know it's not for everyone definitely check out that video uh, on my channel I think it was really interesting to talk about BlockFi. About how they bring, they're almost, it's very interesting. They're bringing traditional banking into crypto. And I think what happens is, you know me, I'm basically Mr. Middle of the Road, right? Some people might call me wishy-washy. And that's something that um, I'll always, that'll always haunt me in a little bit. But in fact, like I'm just someone who is, I, I think, like relatively empathetic to both sides of things. And I like to stay like kind of intellectually nimble and curious. So in that sense, there's a crypto community and they're full and the, the leaders and the heroes of the crypto community are, um, are legacy crypto anarchists that really started in van and were, were the, on the vanguard of the industry. And, you know, their whole MO, crypto's MO is to, uh, maximize the decentralization it's it's super super pure. That's why the whole crypto community really hated uh Ripple, right? Which was a Silicon Valley style centralized thing. Um and then on the other side, you have traditional finance like JP Morgan Chase, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley. So, um the block what like block what I think is interesting is BlockFi is built by a bunch of people that I perceive to be kind of like me, like people that come from traditional Wall Street that are on the forefront of, of believing in crypto and wanting to evangelize crypto and doing it in a way that bringing traditional banking products to crypto. So they're going to bring like a credit card. I think that's really interesting. And so like, I almost like them as a sponsor so we can explore the crypto world through them because I'm going to bring them on every single month. If they want to come back on, i told them that that's a requirement for us and I want them to tell us what they know. So in that video, he told us little tidbits. And I I don't know if you, if those of you on that stream or you can watch the replay on this channel, I don't know if you caught it. He, Institutional Services, he sees the whales buying and selling. That's why I want him to come on our channel. No, he may not be pomp, but guess what? I think that Rob, personally, I think Rob is, knows a little bit more about the big whale movements on crypto, or at least equally so than Anthony Pompliano or some of these, uh, I would say crypto influencers. Right? Uh, he's there. He sees it on his Wall Street-style desk, and the institutions are coming and block trading with BlockFi. So uh, that's why I want them as a sponsor because I'm like that's how like, and I'm talking to Fundrise about this for the real estate market. Is I want them to bring back to the community, right? right. If you, if they're going to have any sort of exposure with anything, then they should bring, they should, they should bring their value back. Right. So I just like definitely check out that, that video. And he basically, uh, spoiler alert, right. He said, it's incredibly bullish still. That's why I'm still bullish. Like I remember people have been nagging at me in DMS. Like, shouldn't we sell off Bitcoin on the big board? Shouldn't we sell off Bitcoin on the big board? Like I've been through two major cycles, um, in size. And before that, you know, if if you're new here, I bought my first, uh, Bitcoin and, um, in uh at 300 bucks that was through coinbase like early iteration of coinbase um so i'm still bullish on bitcoin uh i'm still bullish uh in the stock market right now i think i am more confident in growth coming back at least in tandem with inflation although I know the narrative this week is a little bit real estate bubble, real estate bubble. Uh, Ken, um, who just joined the team, he'll be, uh, oh yeah, I'm just trying to read the chat. Ken is going to be, uh, uh he's helping me write a research report right now on UWMC for ROIC members. I know that's a very interesting stock that screens super cheap, so we're kind of forming finalizing our view on uwmc that's one that got a bit of a rocket mortgage pump so the mortgage industry is kind of interesting right and then i think people are thinking is this a real estate bubble i did a dedicated youtube video on if it's a real estate bubble on my channel uh last week probably last week i think so definitely check that out um so i'm bullish bullish on crypto but i'm cautious right i'm always i'm never gonna be the exuberant guy and i don't think i'll ever be the most bearish guy so it's just level head like try to keep a level level head throughout all cycles so on the rogue big board we are um we're up 70 percent uh we're still outperforming arc we're still outperforming the nasdaq i can't promise you that's always going to be the case but you know i'm I'm happy even though we've missed a few interesting the ones that we've kind of sat on and maybe we didn't trade in and out of things as perfectly as possible i think we've done the right practices on the big board traded in and out uh not in not fully committing ourselves to anything um yeah and for those of you that don't know i've been talking about for a while spoiler at&t is one of my is on the big board i can't give away the full big board because broke members support me there um but i or i've listened to a really great podcast which i tweeted so you can go to my twitter and like go to the link. Um from by Warner Media CEO today. He was on Peter Kafka's show. And uh sorry, I'm getting some DMs. Let me give me a sec. Um yeah, so and if, for those of you that don't know the thesis behind AT&T, AT&T is not just an internet and linear TV company and cell cell company. They uh they uh they also own Warner Media, Media which is one of the biggest film studios in the world. They own HBO and HBO Max, which is, to me, probably third in terms of value behind, uh, obviously, Netflix and Disney+. And so, definitely listen to that. I mean, if you're interested in the media world and don't just want to trust Justin for a juicy 7% dividend yield for AT&T stock, go listen to that, right? AT- HBO Max is one of my favorite streams. Like Sometimes when you know a good product and the valuation's good, that's how you know a good investment, right? I mean, I caught Apple early because I got my hands on the first iPhone and I had already, uh, I mean, I was young then, begged my parents for like a Palm Pilot. I begged them for a compact pocket PC and I got my hands on an early iPhone that was only on at t at the time. And I was like, this is what I've been looking for. All the other stuff was garbage. And then I obviously, at that point, I didn't know the valuation front, but Apple never got so valuable like Tesla did. Tesla is, right? I think that's the enigma with Tesla. Tesla's so, its its valuation has run up so much, much higher than at any point in time you could have gotten into Apple, right? So um, anyway, cool. So that's that. What else do we wanna to cover today? What is today's building wealth? For those of you that, uh, that, um, Want to? Uh, I think I-, I tweeted something that I got a lot of kind of feedback on. Um, you know, some people said I should write an ebook. Yeah, I mean, I'm ar- I'm still scaling off of the CFO gig, so hopefully sometime in the future I can uh, I can write a uh, a an ebook with some of these thoughts in a little bit more cohesive form because Twitter's a little bit um, not super it's not super cohesive. It, this is a long one, right? So uh, let me just share my screen. Just for those of you that that aren't on Twitter or aren't on Instagram, and, and again, just I think this is something that I wanted to bring back to the community, and it's a, and it's it's something that I've learned over. I would say I've been trying to get wealthy for since I popped out of the womb, right? It's just kind of in my bones. Um, but I wanted to just emphasize: go to my Twitter. I mean, you don't need to subscribe if you don't want to. I'd like you to, but. Um, My number one piece of advice for those of us seeking financial freedom, which is that's the whole point of this, right, is focusing on the escape velocity of money and that I have this whole like 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 thesis and theory of the gravity of money because money has its own gravity because spending costs are the same across the board and it's something that obviously like progressive tax theorists and regressive tax theorists we talk we learn about very early but i think like when the rubber hits the road like that star that that cup of starbucks coffee that chipotle burrito and just those groceries and rent all cost the same to us and it's relatively inelastic depending on you know your social strata and so all this to say, you should read the whole thing. I'm not going to waste time here because we want to do like, we want to look into individual stocks that people call in, but just read this. It's like, I, I, I really spent, I, I didn't realize, like sometimes I try to tweet one thing and then I like go into this rant and then uh, it takes me like hours. But I definitely like try to formulate my view on life. And I, I would say is start catching the bug of investing in stocks and crypto if you want to um, early. But don't waste your time uh, trying, like wasting all your time trying to maximize your returns uh, until you have enough money where it matters. Because one thing that I did say here was, uh, you know, you having what was it thirty percent returns on a ten thousand dollar portfolio is only like half a year's worth of Chipotle lunches, right? So really focus on upping your as much as that might hurt you watching my content really focus on reinvesting in yourself maximizing your earning potential and then saving and what you do save definitely invest and it and also know what your goal is right i said basically at least in the united states and if you have a professional degree and you, you can make up to six figures or something 5 million you can do it totally do it right and a lot you can you can you don't need to rely on much you can just, you can just, and if you're not time sensitive, you're like, I just want to retire with 5 million when I'm done working at like 55 or 60, totally doable. You can invest passively, relatively passively, maybe invest in Apple, not Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, stuff like that. But if you really want like 10 million plus or or more, uh, you're going to need some luck and you're going to need some, like a couple home runs. Uh, and so I dive into that there. So I just wanted to cover that. We can, if you guys want to call in and dive into any more of that, then we can totally do that. But this is a, this is at its core, a stock and investing show. So, um, yeah. So, uh, what else did I put here? Coinbase IPO. So I've realized in order to even get my videos to the 70,000 subscribers, first of all, mind boggling. Thank you for being here. Um, in order to get even to their homepage, I have to really up my thumbnail game and the title game and make it a little bit more clickbaity. Um, so, sorry uh, if you know if, if you see me going that direction. I'm also like out in the market trying to hire the right video support person who can help me like do all the social media stuff so I can focus on stocks for you guys or stocks, and crypto investing, real estate. Um, but Go watch that video I did on Coinbase. It's my last video. And I actually think that a $100 billion valuation might not be insane. And if you think that crypto will become from a $2 trillion asset class to, let's go to CoinMarketCap, just pull that up. If you think that crypto can go from being a $2 trillion market market cap to a 50 30 50 trillion dollar market cap and Coinbase 11.3% of all crypto assets in US dollar value was on Coinbase's platform. How insane is that? That blows my absolute mind. If just think about it, if you what if we had a bank, one bank that had 11.3% of all dollars. I don't think that exists. I'm pretty sure that doesn't exist. Maybe. I don't think that exists. So I think it's, um, I think it's like really interesting, right? Because if you think that crypto as an asset class, 15Xs or 20Xs, and they maintain their market share, then you can assume possibly that um, they get 50 to 100, it's a 50 to 100 billion dollar revenue company. And you know it depends on how long that's going to take but i the counter is why wouldn't you just buy bitcoin because if if bitcoin's going to 15 or 20 20%, 20x then why don't you just buy bitcoin and to that question i would say you know you make a good point um you know so i think it's it's up to you i do think that if you believe that coinbase is the one to not only do that but like offer like credit cards and offer like lending and offer institutional lending and and do some of that stuff, then. Uh, my video just dropped. That's weird. Can you guys still see me? Hold on. My video just dropped. Let me restart my phone, or my uh, my camera. So anyway, whatever. Uh, you we, you can at least see my screen still. So. Um, please. Should I go webcam? It's my webcam. Hi, guys. (laughs) Uh, let me try one more time. There it is. Okay, we're back. We're back. Um, we're back. I don't know what that was about. I bought an Elgato cam link and I bought an Elgato mic, so we'll see. Um, what else? So we talked about building wealth. We talked about BlockFi. We talked about the markets. We talked about Coinbase. And we did, for most of this, we had dedicated videos. So BlockFi, go to BlockFi, that BlockFi interview. Super, super, um, super, super, uh, interesting. Um, I really would love to get as many awesome guests on this channel because I think, you know, as much as one person can talk and talk and talk like me. Uh, I think it's really is more interesting when you get different points of view too. Um, so cool. And for those of you asking, Coinbase, um, Coinbase goes public on the 14th, which is next Wednesday. And their reference prices are going to come out the day before. So stay tuned. I'll probably do a quick update video. I'm, not, I'm pretty sure. Um, so anyway, let's go to some ROIC questions. Thank you so much for being a Rogue member. Appreciate you so much. Um, oh, also, I'm about to sign something. Uh, oh, yeah, I was looking this up. Someone asked me, are credit card rewards redeemable? And I, you know, uh, most of them aren't. I'm not particularly Matt I'm not like, okay, in that te- tweet thread I said, I'm not like a penny-pinching, like uh, cost-cutting minimalist kind of guy, like budgeter. I saw another tweet today that I like I didn't want to retweet because I don't want to like offend anybody, but like the tweet said, I I've, I've never in my years of private wealth management, I've never seen anybody get rich off of budgeting. And that that was like that's like the inverse of what my tweet thread had said. It was like, look, like budgeting and and really cutting your costs and being careful with costs are super is super important when you're still in the gravity of that money, right? When you're making 80K a year and uh, it costs you 40K to live or 60K to live, right? When you can reduce your spending by 60K to 40K, you've just doubled the amount you can spend every single year. But when your, um, when your earnings go up so much or your um, your invested assets are a million dollars or more or whatever, like cutting pennies don't really matter because even on a $100,000 portfolio, a 2% move on the NASDAQ, let's say it was all invested in the NASDAQ, a 2% move on the the portfolio is like a year's worth of Chipotle, right? So like, yeah, like I'm not gonna eat Chipotle. I'm gonna like make my own Chipotle bowls, right? Like that takes time. It takes a lot of energy and time. And so, yeah, just go read that tweet though. I don't wanna get too bogged down there. Um, First of all, if you haven't smashed the like button, please consider doing so. It's maybe like half a calorie and it really helps me in the algorithm. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and uh, let's go to, sorry. So I know the camera's shaking. I have a crappy desk. I just bought a like stand that like anchors to the desk, but that's why I was like five minutes late. But it's actually like, um, it's still really unstable. I need a camera guy, guys. That's why I'm out on the market trying to hire someone. But it has to be in person. Um. All right, let's go. Let's go, uh, let's go to some voicemail questions, and then we'll, we'll flip-flop between voicemail questions and rogue topics. Let's, let's handle a ROIC topic first. Uh, real.to, Canadian market, acts as a digital network to facilitate appraisals and refinancing, amongst other things, in the US and Canada, and looks rather cheap based on their growth perspectives and current price. With interest rates at such lows, I feel like the housing market will continue to be hot, if not simply for refinancing. Relevant financial data 41% revenue growth, 93% of revenues is from the US market, 13 times EVD EBITDA with EBITDA margins of 45%. So that stock, ladies and gentlemen, is REAL.TO or on the Toronto Stock Exchange. The real, real. Let me see if this is the right one. That's not it real, Real. T O. This one was submitted by a ROC member. Okay, well this, real Toronto stock. Real matters. Is this it? Real on the TSE. Okay, real. Yeah, it's on the Canadian Stock Exchange or Toronto Stock Exchange. All right, so Real Matters is a technology and network management company providing appraisal services through the Solidify brand to the mortgage lending industry in the United States and Canada. Title and closing services through its Solidify brand to the mortgage lending industry in the United States and insurance inspection services. So, okay, so basically they do appraisals, title, and closing. Uh, let's just take a quick look at Solidify. So, the, the right appraiser on every order, every time. Uh, our services valuation, so appraising and title and settlement. Um, okay. Let's see. Let's see. They're, they've been tanking. They are half priced where they were when they peaked in the middle of 2020. And they're about where they were at the beginning of the pandemic Um, valuation and price target. Okay. So they are growing this year or they grew in 2020 through the pandemic. And let's, and these are their expected growth, 40%, 45% EBITDA margins. And they're trading at just under a billion dollars in valuation. This number right here. Oops. And, uh, so that puts them at about 11 times. Yeah. I mean, we're already halfway through this. So yeah, I would say 11 times forward EBITDA. Not a crazy valuation at all. Why solidify for lenders? Scalable compliant solution, technology-based marketplace. where independent field professionals. Oh, so these guys are like the Upwork or Yelp of, it's like a marketplace where appraisers, notaries, attorneys post their services and lenders get to use them and refer to them. That's in, that's interesting. That's an interesting one, right? Um, okay. You know, I think the real estate market's really interesting because if, If, if interest rates go up, this is something that we are going to do some more work on. If interest rates go up, that's usually in isolation bad for real estate. Uh, because when interest rates go up, people can afford less on a monthly payment. So house prices are pressured and therefore, and homes become less and less, uh, Less and less affordable, but with rising interest rates, you also have conceptually rising uh, GDP growth. Hopefully, healthy inflation and healthy growth. You have inflationary pressures, but you have you have like productivity and GDP growth, which is inherently deflationary that mitigates inflation to the target two percent of the Fed, right? And then. Uh, when you have that happen, um, hopefully with GDP and productivity growth, you also have wage growth. Now we have a wage growth problem over the past decade or two in the US. Wages have stayed relatively stagnant. And that's why I think socialism and communism has never been more in the public like discourse. And the reason is I think the wealth gap has, gap- has widened because wages have re- relatively stayed the same and asset prices have been p- spiked up. And guess who owns assets? It's rich people. Only the wealthiest people own um, own like stocks, bonds, and real estate, right? So when, when a bunch of money is printed and that goes into assets and that pumps up asset prices, you think like your local like service worker owns a bunch of stock. Like the answer is no, right? And so asset stocks go up, stonks go up, like real estate goes up, etc., And the wages go down. So all I have to say, right? So this is macroeconomics. And it's like, what's going to happen in the real estate market. My, my thought is I don't think we're going to see massive. I've been saying this on the channel for a while. I don't think we're going to see much. Sorry. My lighting is like off. Let me turn on the light. Okay. Is that better? I'm a little bit brighter. I know the focus gets like kind of messed up. Um, Yeah, so I don't know. Where was I? I don't remember. We were talking about macroeconomics. So when we're trying to uh, predict home prices, uh, that's different than the home industry, right? So I don't think, I think inventory will come to market uh, once the, as the pandemic, it's going to be more of a grind, right? As the pandemic, uh, as the reopening opens up, inventory will come back to the market, which in, in isolation puts pressure on home prices. Uh, you have an inflationary concern where rates are going to go up, which will also put pressure on home prices. But that doesn't necessarily correlate to home volumes. We've had record low home volumes and record low inventory. And so the question is, are a bunch of people going to list their homes that didn't list their home through the pandemic? Um, I, I tend to believe so. Now, also the question is, we've had a ton of refinancings which also require appraisals and also require like title and closing, uh, maybe not title, not title, not title and closing, but require appraisals. And so like, right, there's, this is like an onion to peel when you're, when you're talking about, um, this, this ticker real, when you're talking about a marketplace for appraisers and, and, uh, title and settlement services. I mean, and so 93% you said of their revenue comes from the U.S. market. I think it's interesting. 13 times EBITDA for a company possibly growing at 20% a year I think is a really juicy valuation. I think it's very interesting. So I'll leave it at that. I won't be able to tell you more. I think this warrants more work, but you're going to have to take a fundamental view of what happens to uh, to real estate volumes. To volumes. And specifically... This company will do better if there's more origination and uh, acquisition volume, like so meaning people buying and selling homes as opposed to refinancings. Okay. Cool. Mark is done. That one was a long one. Uh, let's go to a voicemail. I think I fixed it from last week. Give me a second. Yeah, my camera's shaking again. All right, let's do this. See if it works. Hi,
1: Justin. I was wondering what your thoughts on Chipotle were. Not the burrito, the stock, obviously. I've owned some for quite a while just because I like the food.
0: Um, Feedback. Owning it, it seems like it's been treated like a gross stuff. Feedback. I wonder how to, how to do this. Maybe I mute this, mute the site. Mute the site. Let's see if... Oh, and my camera's off again. This is a technical difficulty nightmare, as usual. This is why I've needed a video person for so long. Let's see if that works. All right, whatever. I'm not that that good looking, so you can just not see me for a while.
1: Hi, Justin. I was wondering what your thoughts on Chipotle were. Not the burrito, the stock, obviously. I've owned some for quite a while, just because I like the food. Um, but since owning it, it seems like it's been treated like a growth stock, and that's been great for me. But intuitively, I just don't understand how it could keep growing, as it's pretty much everywhere I go nowadays. I'm curious what you think about companies that might be towards the end of their growth cycle and are becoming on the verge of more value or blue chip stocks.
0: Thanks. All right. Um, let me try to fix my Live camera. That's This cam link, is, it's been working all week and it obviously has to not work when I have my one live stream of the week. Okay, well, anyway. <laughs> this will be a faceless channel now. Uh, is the camera working? The camera doesn't look like it's working to me. You know what? Okay, you can look at me. Here's my webcam, cool. All right. Um, the question was about Chipotle. The question was about uh, how can this thing keep growing if it's on every corner? And it's kind of like that um, that uh, that like Starbucks problem. So like just oh, okay, so we're back. Um, let's look at Starbucks. Okay. So uh, yeah, so I will say, right? This is how we think about things. And so it's not necessarily a move from growth stock to value stock. Excuse me. Um, it's really growth stock to does it flatten out or does it, does the management team uh, know how to keep driving value, Right. Starbucks is a really great example of a management team and a company that's so focused and works really well that there are more than, it's like more than uh, Starbucks on every corner sometimes. Like I, I see a Starbucks there and I, start, I see a Starbucks there, right? Um, it's kind of like that subway problem. Uh, but Starbucks has been able to add more additional and additional services. I believe that the best companies in the world will never stop their growing. I believe left unchecked, Amazon will grow, I mean, as long as Bezos is still the chairman and his lieutenants are still like of the Bezos mindset, they'll keep growing at a 10% plus clip forever because they'll find something to reinvest in, even if it isn't uh, coffee, right? So a prime example is Starbucks, right? They proliferated by being um, a good vibe, you know what to expect, uh, very, very strong, some would argue burnt Tasting coffee, but like when they were on every corner, people were like, "Oh, their growth wasn't going to be great." But their growth continued. I mean, just look at these growth numbers, right? I mean, they've averaged. I mean, pandemic. Look how good they did during the pandemic. Pandemic aside, they've averaged like high teens, like ten percent growth types of types of range, right? And that's because they've been able to layer in like, oh, now the pink dragon drink. I mean, now like I don't know if how many of you are on TikTok. Like uh, now, there's this drink where it's like a boba clone, where you get like an iced green treat, green green chai tea latte with brown sugar syrup, and they, they're just being really, really creative. I mean, they added food years back, um, and they're they're testing out. I remember they were testing out alcohol. So there's never you're never boxed into a corner to being an inflationary growth. So just keep that in mind. Now Starbucks. Oh, uh, sorry. Now Chipotle is really interesting, and if we want to go, if we want to be cute about it, here. Let me. I'm gonna spoil something for you guys. So, if you're a Roic member, we update this every quarter for some. Uh, well, our site's being slow. Sorry, I'm not Facebook. Facebook went down today. And crazy, Facebook crashed today. Never mind. Um. Okay, so this is Bill Ackman's portfolio as of year end. Chipotle is his biggest position, 16%, right? And he's a value guy. Very interesting. I don't get. We did a. Uh, I have a series for roach members of like building a DCF, and we did that with some uh, a group. Uh, I recorded a Zoom like multiple Zoom sessions, and it looks overvalued to me. So I don't really get it especially since it's a restaurant at its core. Uh, You'll see like 2016 is where they had the cilantro uh, E. coli, I think the poisoning, which scared a bunch of people away. But they've been adding queso. They've been adding these things that maybe their traffic doesn't increase, but the ticket size increases. So the question I would say to you is, do you believe they are tapped? Because I agree. Chipotle is probably pretty darn tapped in terms of locations. And once we roar back from the pandemic, like in a couple in a year or two, they're going to get back to traffic return, returning traffic, and that's already priced in the stock because at forty-two billion dollars for a burrito chain, uh, or arguable wrap chain, but they're trading at thirty. To, I mean, more than thirty. They're, tr- they're trading at thirty-five times forward, thirty-two times, thirty-five times forward EBITDA, right? and a very low free cash flow yield. So that's the return of traffic is already priced in. And so the question is, the the the, the probably the deciding factor of whether or not you think a quote unquote, gro- this is a growth stock that will continue compounding, because I would consider this not a growth stock because it's not gonna grow 20% a year. Um, but do you think it's like a compounder, meaning they can reinvest some of their cash flows and reinvest into growth? I believe that it's your confidence and their ability to roll out more add on items, increase ticket size, cross sell, upsell, cross sell, upsell. And so, like, I know I have now, like, for a while, I was not eating Chipotle because I didn't like it. But now, and, but now, like, I, with their rollout of their cilantro, or sorry, their cauliflower rice. Now I'm like, okay, well, I hate salads. That's something you should know about me. Like, I just, I'm not a big salad guy. I mean, I like a certain, like, I like, uh, there's this chain called, um, I forget, I don't know, it's whatever. Um, but other than that, like, I don't like, I don't, but I don't like salads, but if I can substitute cauliflower rice, maybe it's sort of like, oh, if I'm on a diet, I'll just get like a bowl with cauliflower rice. But that stuff's $2 on an $8 burrito. You just increased, your ticket size. If you're selling people cauliflower rice, you just increase your ticket size by 20 to 25 percent, and that's right there, 25 to 25 percent, 20 to 25 percent growth on the attach rate of guac, of of cilantro, or sorry, cilantro cauliflower rice, or or their uh, um, their uh, what's it called, queso. And not only that, those are really high flow through profitability item. So like it's melted cheese in a bag, right, that they're selling you. Um Oh yeah, sweet is pretty good, but in general I'm not like a salad guy. I like warm food, I don't know. I'm a weirdo. I should get more healthy. Um okay. <laughs> Maybe that's why I got the uh the COVID-15. It's because I was ordering pizza and burritos and not eating salads while I was live streaming to the internet. Um yeah no so Steve is saying cauliflower rice is such a ripoff. I completely agree. But I'm the sucker because I'm like okay it's a diet food I hate salads and get this. Um I thought that's funny. But that's my opinion on Chipotle is it doesn't look like it's a really particularly attractive investment to me because the valuation's so full pun not intended. Um even when they were growing out here they were trading at 20 times EBITDA I mean, now that, I mean, it's just a very high valuation for a, what I would believe is a five to 10% grower, right? Is there, I mean, I am a little probably more bearish on their growth rate, but again, maybe they just offer a bunch of stuff. Maybe they go like quesaritos and they start, they, maybe they roll out margs, margaritas. Can you imagine like Chipotle margaritas? I don't know. I don't like restaurants and I don't like retail because restaurants and retail really are fickle, right? I mean, one E. coli outbreak destroyed their revenue and their valuation for a year. And you can't really predict that. You can't really predict that. Cool. Let's do let me get a water break and then we're going to do issuer direct ticker ISDR. Let me pull that up. ISDR. Uh, this is a um a question from the Rock community. Thank you very much. I'm going to take a water break. All right, I'm back. I spilled on myself. Sorry. You get to watch me spill water on myself. Okay. Issuer: Direct Corp. Ticker: ISDR. Uh, been super choppy for since they popped in July 2000 or July 2020. Um, let's see, ISDR. Blah 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 blah. What do they do? So this is the question. ISDR is a tech company that offers a cloud based subscription platform for businesses providing media and communication management. It has a market cap of 85 million with 20 million of cash on its balance sheet and almost no long term debt. It has been growing at 20% in the last three quarters and has 70% gross margins. And even better, it's a profitable company. It's a hidden gem which no one knows about. What are your thoughts? So, these last two questions, if if these last two questions don't convince you to join the ROKE community, I don't know what will. Like my favorite part of the thing isn't even the research or the big board that I provide. It's like meeting really smart people that catch on really quickly and can help find us like really cool stocks. Um, So that's just, that's I just want to say that. So thank you for for being a ROKE member and, and, and fi- potentially finding us a hidden gem here. So they're trading at 24 bucks a share. Let's see their description, cloud-based, compliance technologies, disclosure management. Virtual meeting alternative, no, I don't want that. Uh, Disclosure management, file any SEC document from our Edgar filing platform. So this is for public companies, B2B public companies, probably very sticky and so, what first question that comes to mind is what are public companies using right now? What are their uh, investor relations departments using right now? So, when I go to like, I don't know, Tesla investors, what are these, what is Tesla using, right, to do all this stuff? Corporate governance, uh, access wire, news network. So, filing press releases, investor targeting, annual meetings of proxies, earnings calls. Wow, this is like a, this is like a nice uh, investor relations as a as a service, or investor relation tools SaaS. Okay, so now we kind of understand what they do. Eighty-five million dollar market cap. Okay, so you're saying eighty-five million. Okay, so ninety million market cap, seventy-one million enterprise value and they're growing slowly but steadily small business growing at 20% over the last 3 quarters whoops 20% over the last 3 quarters okay you're right about that 20% over the last 3 quarters i wonder why do you see this this is because i mean this is correlated to covid in the pandemic do their tools did, did a bunch of companies cut a bunch of investor relations folks in and because they were all remote and they, they just want a platform. I don't know. Uh, 70% gross margins. Yep. So they're software company and they're increasing gross margins over time. They're running themselves relatively profitably. Uh, and they're trading at, what did you say? No debt. Wait, let's see. They have no debt and only cash and they're trading at 13 times. E- oh, sorry. This is quarterly. Um, they're trading at 14 times EBITDA. I like it. We're going to look into this one. Thank you so much. Rogue for life. Do I have my rogue hat here? No, I don't. I don't want to leave you guys again. We've already had enough technical difficulties. I like it. You get a first initial Justin first glance seal of approval. We're going to look at this one. Uh, We don't have a ton of analyst capacity right now, but maybe we'll... This one looks really interesting. I get like two weeks in a row. We have something to look at. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, I'm still not done for those of you wondering last week, we've been doing more work. We did a lot of work, uh, together on our private row extreme about IEA, IEA, which is a really, in- it looks really cheap, but there's a lot of complexity around it that we are not buying in yet. Uh, last Thursday, So this time around, we got ISDR, and I'm gonna send Ken a note, ISDR, just a note to remember. Boom, cool. Thanks so much for being here. Don't forget to smash that like button and uh, subscribe because I'm a YouTuber now. Um, Yeah, I've I've been a YouTuber, I guess I've been a YouTuber, or whatever you wanna call me. I like to say I'm just your friend uh, for like a year now, I guess probably spun up the channel around April, May. Uh, I think April. Um, cool. Let's go to a voicemail question. Okay. Someone tell me why I have feedback from, because we never used to have feedback. I don't get it. Oh, it's because the only way I can get this is I have to plug this into this. I'm sorry. Oh, you know what I can do? That's what I can do. That's what. See? These are all just foreign dials to me. I think I fixed it. I'm smart.
1: I wanted to ask about setting up a portfolio and help will my hey, Justin,
0: Never my mind, I didn't. I'm a rogue member. I wanted to ask about setting up a portfolio
1: and help with my mom as she's about 40 I set it up with compounders at
0: 25% of her account, growth at 25%. Hold on, Kaya.
1: Value at 10, speculation at 5, and inflation hedges at 20. Inflation hedges, I mean gold and Bitcoin and and such. And also a uh, 7% allocation to fund rise. What do you think about this? Is this too risky? I wanted to know... um, you know, what you think so I could help make sure my mom can maximize her gains while also staying safe. And she'll need this money in a few decades from now. Thank you. I appreciate the help.
0: This, I'm just going to say this Elgato thing has so many dials and stuff. I think I fixed it. But um, yeah, sorry, Kaya, you got cut off a bit by my incompetence. I'm very competent in finance, very incompetent in audiovisual. Um, so the question is setting up a portfolio for her mom, his mom, 40 f- uh, 45 years old. Uh, compounders is 25 percent of the account, growth is 25. Uh, value. Let me let me actually re, re- I'm sorry, I waste you guys' hey Jeff, time. My name is
1: Kaya, I'm a ROAD member. I wanted to ask about setting up a portfolio and helping my mom as she's about 40. 40-
0: Yeah, so I think it's a relatively risky portfolio uh, unless she doesn't need to use the money for another 10 to 20 years. Uh, I personally think gold's market share is going to be at least mitigated by Bitcoin. So I like. I would rather just do Bitcoin. But, I mean, you have speculation in there. I mean, what is the speculative stuff, right? What is the speculative stuff? I think value... Uh, Compounders are great. They're still well priced, and we're talking about the Amazons, the Apples, you know, the the Facebooks, the the Microsofts, possibly the Salesforces. I don't like Salesforce, but um, possibly like ServiceNow, right? Um, and growth at twenty five percent plus twenty percent in gold and Bitcoin plus speculation at five. I would probably. If she, if she has to touch the money within 10 years, personally, my opinion is not advice, as with everything I say, I personally would be more weighted towards value and more weighted towards things like like and t like we talked about earlier. Uh, because you're already in like 25% growth and you have no bonds, which I don't like bonds. So don't just... And I mean, what about cash? Like, is she still earning money? So I'd say... If she's earning money and contributing, you can afford to be a little bit more aggressive. I think if you if you if you have to touch the money within the next ten years, you have to be more conservative, right? Because we are in a weird, choppy time frame, and maybe I'm missing it, and maybe there's a big crash soon, uh, which where Bitcoin's going to really crash, right? So if you have to touch it, then um, then be way more conservative. But I think it's fine. It's very aggressive. I think it's very aggressive. But that assumes that she has to touch it in the next 10 to 15 years. If she doesn't have to touch it for like 20, then and, she, and she's contributing with a job, then I think you can afford to take some more risks. I would say, yeah, compounders at 25%. I would keep that the same. Growth. Well, what did we talk about earlier? Growth. As long as they're the cheap growth ones that we really like, right? I wouldn't chase the like, um, I don't know, name like a like a popular one. Like I probably wouldn't chase a Palantir. I probably wouldn't chase a Palantir. Um, and you're twenty percent in gold and Bitcoin. That's pretty. That's pretty speculative, right? So if anything, I would rotate heavier to the value. So we like. I mean, just, I mean, you're, I know you're a Rogue member. So, like, just go look at the value ones. I like those, right? I mean, even, even more conservative reopening ones. Like, I know Disney isn't particularly cheap, but I mean, it's, it's a pretty solid stock, right? Sorry.
1: Hey, Justin. This is Pablo. Um, I really enjoyed everything uh, you've done in the past year. I really appreciate the hard work. My question is regarding long-short portfolios. And one, what do you think of the long-short portfolio? I personally am a big fan. And two, um, have you thought about incorporating some shorts into the big board into the portfolio to hedge out um, a market risk? Thanks.
0: So uh, I worked at one of the biggest long-shorts in the world. Uh, we were still long biased. The market tends to go up. Um, Long shorting, especially being net neutral, is basically dead on Wall Street and it has been for a long time. I'm not a quant, so I can't particularly tell you exactly why. Um, But I do know it's a usually underperforming strategy. Uh, I think shorting stocks as we all saw with GameStop, can really cut against you. Really, really, really be detrimental. I think you have to be right about so much more, so much faster in order for your shorts to work. And they, ca- they cause, you, cause me so much more headache and stress that I don't like shorting. At this point in life, as a personal investor, uh, I would rather be a long only. And if you think that, if you think that you can go long, like go, let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars and you long 80 and you short 20 to hedge your portfolio. And let's just say you're like a tech investor and you long 80 and you hedge 20, right? So you're like 25% hedged. I mean, why wouldn't you just go long 75 and have 25 in cash? Like, I, like I understand the math of, like, being – the math of being long short only works when you're using margin and when you're using leverage. So, you have, like, when I was at the, C, the big C, right, the big C word, there was, like, a huge quantitative statistical – at PhD department – dedicated to risk management. And um, and the only reason, so you, so the, the book at any given time would be like net long or net, usually net long, right? So you, meaning more longs than shorts. But that kind of institution has the ability to leverage up a ton. And so uh, if the market goes up a little bit, they're net hedged and they're only making a little bit of money, but then they juice those returns by, with leverage and it's kind of a bit of a house of cards and in order for that to work like you're in order to really hedge out all the risk i have to go long tsmc and short uh intel i need to go long service now short uh atlassian i need to go long microsoft short apple right uh you that's what we call isolating alpha and hedging out beta, which is like market volatility conceptually. In the real world, I think it's more muddy. Uh, so I'm not confident enough as a professional, as someone who makes, like I can go back and make a lot of money being like a stock selector. And I'm not confident enough in myself. So it's very, very hard for me to believe I have not met one person that's actually like that confident. Because I may not like a stock, but yeah, I, I may not like a stock, but I could be wrong. I can, you can be wrong more often than you're right. But if you know. When to go in, or when you know when you're right, you have high conviction, you can do really well if you're a long only. But if you're a long short, for every long, you need to find a short. So yeah, I mean, I don't think like I don't think it's in my DNA. But if you but I have seen some really, really obvious shorts that I was like pounding the table on. For example, when Snapchat went public, uh wait, no, 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 sorry. When Shake Shack went public, bang in the table. I hate this company. Boom, boom, boom. Because you look at the you look at the valuations, and Shake Shack was at the time. I don't know if you guys know Shake Shack. It's like a Urban Danny Meyer, like upscale ten dollar burger joint that's in all the airports, fancy airports. Um, they were only in New York City and like a select really high end places. So they're Um, they're both like they're, uh, they're what we call AUVs or average unit volumes worth like $6 million per year or something. It was like super insane. And so when they, when, when you saw the analysts, like growth projections, they were like projecting that they were going to grow store locations and they were going to, uh, keep those unit economics. When I knew when a shake shack opens up in like I don't know, like Indianapolis, like downtown Indianapolis. They're not going to make as much money as you make in like Madison Square Park in New York City. Some of those things are like, and then I also saw the writing on the wall. I was like pretty short Twitter when they like they were like bleeding users or starting to bleed users from a product perspective, and I really didn't like Snapchat for a while. Um, but even those, like I didn't, I didn't pull the trigger on Snap, so. Um. Yeah, what do you guys think about Shake Shack? I think it's a little overpriced, but I mean, they're delicious. I think they're delicious, right? Um, uh, okay, so here's a question from the chat. Speck is asking, is there a reason why he isn't confident in Apple? So let's go over that. They're not innovating, someone said that, so you're right. It's hard for them to innovate. I think they're getting pressured on App Store margins, or App Store revenues. They're trading at 21 times, or I guess you could argue 20 times, 20.5 times forward uh, EBITDA. They've had a boost from the the new line of iPhones. But at the end of the day, like the mobile game is really hard and it's a software world. So their growth rate to me is pretty normalized at the like, mid-teens. So when I'm looking at where do I want to stick my dollars, so at this 20 times forward EBITDA valuation, Oh, sorry 21 times the 20 point seven times 40 EBITDA valuation um, for a five percent growth rate versus a Microsoft it's all relative guys because investing is all relative to sticking in the bank which is relative to sticking it under your mattress which is relative to spending it on uh, like a car it's all relative Uh Oh, so Microsoft's rallied a bit, but for a similar valuation, right? 22 times 40 but duh, I get double the growth in a much more diversified business, B2B. Amazon. For a sim oh well, so for a yeah, similar valuation, actually probably the same valuation as Apple, you get Amazon that's growing at 20% a year, probably 15% plus, one of the best, comp like the best compounder in my mind out there for the same price. You get triple the growth. And guess what? You think of Amazon as a consumer company, but 100% of their profits are cloud services. So you get a cloud business, you get cloud profits at a much higher value, a uh, much higher, um, much higher growth rate for the same price so i just think you get more apples for the same price in other stocks um so we did issuer direct let's do a couple let's turn through a couple more uh i think we have three more voicemail questions before we move on don't forget to uh smash that like button for me uh we have 336 maybe we can get to i don't know like 350 likes maybe maybe 375 and uh don't forget to check us out at a couple cents.com and help Then consider supporting the content. We're trying to build like long-term equity research and a community at like a no brainer price. I think, you know, that's like my big thing It's like seeking alpha is like 40 bucks a month. Like, like all these things are so expensive and I'm like can bring, if we can build something really special, uh, I'm about to, I'm in about, I'm exploring dropping quite a bit of my own money to build, rebuild the website and app to allow people to post their own research and track their portfolios because I think a lot of the ROIC members wanted to like integrate, like connect their Robinhood account and like be able to track their own like big board. So if I'm like John Doe, it's like John Doe's like own portfolio and they can post their own stuff. So I, I think that would be really cool and to make it like a little bit social, but I'm not a software developer, so it's gonna take a little bit. I have to find the outsource people, but it's all coming. Ho- hopefully by the end of the... Um, uh, by the end of the, okay, so this is doing it again. Um, hopefully by the end of the year, we can roll it out. I would hope sooner. I think this works. I have to switch between my, that's so weird. Uh, I have to switch between my webcam and my, my like DSLR, um, to, to fix it.
1: I'm a long-time uh, fan of yours and a ROIC member. Um, I just wanted to ask you a question. Back in February, <laughs> you took a call and you kind of sold off your high-conviction growth stocks to make space for cash, and I felt it was pretty counterintuitive at that time, but my, oh, my, uh, you really uh, read the tea leaves. So don't you think now is also a time to move into cash and kind of increase your overall cash position from maybe five to 15%. What are your thoughts? Love your work. Take care.
0: Thanks, Rob. Uh, thanks for calling in. I'm actually pretty bullish right now. Uh, I, we just posted a new research report, um, on, uh, a couple cents.com is a premium one for ROIC members. And, uh, it, I, it was a summarization of a economic um, research, like macroeconomic research report that suggested a potential drop, um, a potential drop in the stock market. But all economic indicators I'm seeing is that we're going to continue to grow. My My base case scenario is that we grind higher for the next year. So in that sense, I don't think, I don't think increasing our, cash position to 15% is the is on my priority list. But again, maybe that's a little counterintuitive, right? I think this, like, let me pull up the NASDAQ. I think I talked about this in the rogue only stream. I thought this, so yeah, you're talking about February when we increase cash, meaning selling off our, our growth stocks. And, you know, we called it, we didn't play it perfectly, but like I said, I'm not, I told you I'm not going to play everything perfectly, but I'm going to try my best. Uh, We did, we did call it a bit. And I thought this was super healthy, healthy consolidation because what you didn't see during this period of time is from January to April, these stocks have grown. If you're talking about a 30% grower or let's call it a 25% grower. Let's call it a 20, 28% grower, right? So a, g- a real growth stock, 28% grower. That means from January on the NASDAQ to April. So that company has grown by 8% in a quarter, right? Therefore, the valuation has gone down by 8%. So when something trades flat, but is inherently a growing company, it's getting cheaper, Right? And so that's what we really saw with Facebook, right? It was dead money we were holding, whatever. We held Facebook. You guys know Facebook's been on the the big board since inception in August. And we've been holding dead money and it's finally rallying. Because at a certain point, you can't argue with a company growing 20% a year. Although, is Facebook up again? Facebook was down today. Facebook is up again. Congrats. Um yeah, you can't argue with Facebook posting quarterly numbers of growth 25% a year in revenue. So uh I think the, the Nasdaq pullback, the tech stock pullback was really healthy and I'm pretty bullish. Now that might change on a dime as I listen to really smart people and really start macroeconomists like talk. Uh but Yeah, I just, I don't feel scared right now. So I think I'm going to stay, like, I mean, I think, I like saying generally 10% cash. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm not, it's not like the main thing on my radar. Okay. This Elgato mic has so many controls, and like, it.
1: Hey, Justin, a Rolex member here. I um, really appreciate what you did and you're doing uh, right now for all of the members. Um, and my question is about a uh, new SPAC, uh, MUDS, uh, which is taking a uh, top trading card company uh, public. Uh, it seems like their revenue you know, is growing at a pretty good you know, 22%, and I uh, just want to see what your take is on that company. Uh, Again, ticker is M U D F. Thank you.
0: Yeah, this is a really cool one. So muds, uh, or muds ticker muds is acquiring tops and tops like makes, uh, baseball cards. And I hope you all know that, um, that NFTs are all the rage NFTs, Nancy, Frank, Thomas. I don't know that, whatever. Um, First of all, can I get a side note in the chat? I have the chance to have a really high-profile crypto guest who wants to talk about NFTs. And it's a pretty well-known name in the crypto community. I lean towards getting everybody who wants to talk, who's educated and and uh, is a relatively high-profile person. Um, he invented a high-profile, like crypto would you guys want him on the show so let me let me let me know okay just that's something to leave in the comments below um yeah let me let me see wait coin market cap yeah he basically uh founded a top 15 or top 20 crypto on coin market cap So, and he wants to come on and talk NFTs. I know I'm not a big NFT person. For those of you that want to, um, I tweeted about NFTs. Uh, So go to my Twitter. Let me see what I said about NFTs. Just so we're on the same page. I have to scroll down. NFT, NFT. What did I say about NFTs? Okay. Here's here's I'll show I'll show the screen. So let's just read this really quickly, because sometimes like I, I do research and I write and then it's like I have to remind myself what I what I think. Okay, here's what I think about investing in NFTs versus Bitcoin. Time for a thread. Buying NFTs are akin to buying art and music, but as I understand it without well-established royalty or resale rights. So an NFT's value as art is only what another enthusiast is willing to pay for it. Uh, NFTs don't have intrinsic value like financial assets, utilities, or commodities. Companies' bonds generate earnings, and utility assets and commodities are used to make make or do things. But Bitcoin doesn't generate earnings and is only a store of value too, right? Sure, but Bitcoin is a store of value like NFTs, But it's also a utility asset that can send large values cheaply and instantaneously and also, nonetheless, invented a whole technology. Uh, Bitcoin's value grows exponentially the more people are using the network. So like how Venmo works, the more Venmo users there are, the more valuable the Venmo network is. So the more Bitcoin owners and users there are, the more valuable the Bitcoin network gets because it's it's the network of money. But as more people buy NFTs, I can't really say the same thing about your one out of 15,000 LeBron top shot dunk or your one out of 1,000 dead mouse pick. Um, to make money, both of these things need to happen, right? First of all, popularity needs to increase for your dead mouse picture or your insert whatever, Metallica NFT. Um, and the creator can't keep printing a ton of their stuff and flooding supply, right? Right. So there's a reason why values often increase after a famous artist's death. Death? It means the supply and scarcity is locked. It's also why even good artists that produce too much work have mediocre values. Returns equal lower supply and higher demand, which so you need low supply and high demand. Like you can't have super high supply and super high demand. Uh, Like you need kind of both. Um, Or one, you know, one forced outstrip the other. Wealth can 100% be made and stored in NFTs, just like art. Uh, but just like our NFT returns are highly unique to specific, uh, I can't speak. The specific dynamics of a piece, will it get more popular? Will the creator stop selling so much? If the NFT economy grows, we could still all lose our money if we individually buy the wrong pieces. Because of these reasons, NFTs are not really scalable investments. Just treat them like buying a painting, a rare whiskey, playoff tickets, or limited run sneakers. So your number one priority should just be to have fun because unless you're like a, a sneaky billionaire on our channel, like you're not getting the Mona Lisa or you're not getting a Beeple, right? For 69 million. Very nice. Um, so thanks for the feedback. Uh, okay. So everyone's saying yes. Okay. So you guys won't judge me if it's like deep into the crypto sphere, right? Because some people, I have had like the occasional comment, like stick to stocks or whatever, like so. I'm just open minded, so um. So okay, so what I was gonna say. We're talking about tops. Okay, so we're talking about tops, mud stock. They they announced that they were acquiring muds, so they're at ten sixty-nine. Uh let's let's take a quick look. This might be our last one, or maybe we can get to another one. Alright, let's see what you, what you're up to. Blue chip private equity. Madison Deerborn Partners. I know a few folks there. Privately held company that will trade well as a publicly traded, blah, blah, blah. blah. This is all fluff. At 10 bucks a share or ten fifty a share. Let's let's do the math. Ten what was it? Let's talk. Ten sixty nine. Times fifteen plus one forty four. Is that right? Yep, one forty four. Uh, so this is the valuation they're trading at. Tops at a glance. 567 million in revenue, 92 million in adjusted EBITDA. They sell physical, like baseball cards and Star Wars trading cards and stuff. They do some interactive apps, gift cards, and confections. Oh man, they sell push pops. Do you guys remember that? Ring pops? Oh man, the 90s are calling back to me. Push pops. I haven't seen one of those in forever. Okay, Mickey Mantle rookie card sells for a record 5.2 million. And if I'm not certain, but if you guys are going to ask me if NFTs are in a bubble, I think it's a, um, if I had to guess, I think it's in a short-term bubble. Long-term, I think NFTs as a whole are going to do really well, which is why I dropped for my international folks. Remember, I dropped to buy Flow. When did I say that? this is why you guys should tune in and and smash that like button because I said to buy flow that I really wanted to buy flow. I believe that was like here. I have to go back. It was a while ago and it's already like almost doubled since then. But unfortunately us Americans can't buy flow. So I really like flow. It's dapper labs. Um, look them up they're the ones who are uh making basically nba top shot and a lot of these uh a lot of these uh ufc crypto kitties are all made on dapper by dapper labs on the flow blockchain um so that's why i like that so i wonder what tops is getting built on okay ip okay it's not my cup of tea i'm not a baseball guy either so Influencer collaborations. Um, Gary V. and Steve Aoki. Ecosystem of branded apps. Single digital investment positions for top for blockchain NFT innovation. Man. Integrated. Dist- Distribution and payment platform for the world's top digital brands. One-stop shop solution. One billion annual transactions. Now, oh, this is their gift card business. Edible entertainment. Bottle pop. Ring pop. Continuation. All righty. They think they're gonna grow 20% in 2021 and 12% thereafter. 100 million in EBITDA, accelerating EBITDA. Well, I'm. This is. gonna nitpick here as a bank. This is banker speak here. This is banker speak here, because you would say accelerating means inflecting, right? This doesn't look accelerating to me. It looks like linear growth to me. So this is this is not right. Um, strong growth. Kager two-year Kager nineteen percent. Adjusted EBITDA margins. They think EBITDA margins go down. Interesting. To fifteen percent. Oh, they. Okay, so their valuation 12.5 times EBITDA is the median of, I can't read these, Hasbro, Mattel, Funko. Was that nuts? Hostess? I don't really see why they would be that. Okay. So at the end of the day, they're trading at 13 times EBITDA. I don't know. I think it depends on whether you think they're lowballing. Like we we got into Playboy because we thought like uh, we we had the CEO of Playboy on our channel if you want to go watch that interview, go back in the interview. Uh, Go back to my YouTube channel. Um, I don't love it, but I don't know much about how popular you think baseball NFTs are going to be. If you think baseball, like NBA NFTs are just going to blow, continue blowing up for the next couple years, I think this could be a good investment for sure. But I just don't know enough. It doesn't look overpriced. It looks fairly priced for I'm sorry I'm scrolling around too much I'm trying to find something It looks fairly priced for this growth if they believe that yeah like in 2 years let's see Yeah like 12 times 2 year forward or 2 year forward EBITDA seems pretty reasonable to me. So, in order to win here, you, they're going to need to blow out earnings from expectations, which they're giving us their expectations. So, you need to think that they're lowballing this and they're not in- including potential just smash hit upside from NFTs. Um Cool. Shampoo says he made a ton off Playboy. We added that to the big board just in time. That was pretty good. Um, let's do one more question very quickly, and then I think we have to we have to tidy up here.
1: Hey, Justin, it's so, a rogue number here. Um, I was wondering what you would suggest for someone who just has like a fun account and you know Weevil. Um, I have like a thousand dollars, and I was wondering if you would advise possibly buying something like call options on some of your new stock picks on the road, big board, um, just as a way of leveraging money with a smaller account. Thanks a lot.
0: So, uh, if you don't, if you remember correctly when we, um, so the question is just for fun money, should, should he just like buy call options? Like I like options because it's inherent leverage and it's like, if you're going to treat that account, like betting on sports, then call options are much more like betting on sports, right? Because you're basically, um, what am I doing? Because you're basically saying this either happens or that goes to zero. Similarly, like I watch a Conor McGregor fight and I bet on Justin Poyer and I either Justin wins and I make money or I like Conor McGregor wins and I lose all my money. So that's kind of like a call option, right? Um, I agree. Like if you're just going to do it for fun, like options are really fun. I think they're just fun. Um, but you have to write, be right on like three things. You have to be right on the stock movement. You have to be right on the timing. And then you have to be right on implied volatility. I mean, just as a layman, right? The three things don't buy too high with too much implied volatility. Um, so buy the call option, when the stock is not moving around a ton, uh, buy you enough time for the stock to move to your out-of-the-money price, and you have to be right all about the price. At the end of the day, to be right, it stock's either going to go up or down to a certain price, and you got to be right there. So I will remember some of the ones that we just added to the big board. Just a reminder, when we bought Albertsons, it took a while. Like, we bought that thing down here, it really took a while. It was like dead money. Everything was running and running. And this was like, people were like, oh, it's not moving a lot, right? And then it takes, and then it spikes and it goes right back down. And then it goes right back up. So for example, the tech hardware stock we added, um, maybe I shouldn't drink uh, soda while streaming, uh, is also a recent IPO that is undercovered just like how Albertson's was, right? And so the thesis, even though it's undervalued, it's gonna take a while to go. So if you're gonna just do fun money and you're like, I just wanna have fun, I wanna bet on it like sports, what I would do personally, like younger version of Justin with more time, would probably be like buying out of the money call options on on companies in which... I believe they're going to kill earnings or they're going to have some sort of catalyst. So for example, if you have a view on Disney and you think they're underpriced based on the return to Disney parks, that's a, that's a two to three quarter thesis, right? So, you wanna buy out of the money call options like a year, right? A year with expiry a year from now. So, it gives you a, some, a couple quarters for them to report. But then you're gonna have time decay, right? So, even that one's not really like super, super fast. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean, from the opposite, if you buy some puts, out of the money puts, on like, you think like, Like American Airlines or or any of these overpriced stocks are gonna not are gonna report earnings and like COVID isn't they're not COVID the reopening from COVID isn't gonna go out uh, come back like as quickly as possible. I'm trying to think of like another uh, like thing you know like a catalyst. If not, do what Roaring Kitty did. Go find an undervalued stock and buy leaps, long expiry uh, options on it. Like, I would rather you buy long-term dated options on a undervalued stock and kind of have fun that way. Just make sure you're buying it when it's not popular, when it's not moving around a ton so that you don't have implied volatility and buy uh, leaps that are like expiring like two years from now or something because and give yourself like a six to 12 month period for that thesis to play out um otherwise you know i think like people have made a lot of money on like out of the money tesla options right um what else is fun i think crypto is really fun so maybe open up like a go buy a go buy a flow or something, or if this guest comes onto the show, go buy his stuff, right? I think Ethereum's got a lot of upside. I think Coinbase I sorry, I think Bitcoin is still like in a bull market. We talked about at the beginning of the show. And uh yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much. We're already running over an hour and a half, I believe. Uh before you head out, don't forget to hit that like button and uh smash that subscribe button if you're just new here. Also, again, like Sign up for. Oh, we just changed our format for Morning Sense, which is our free daily email newsletter. Lots of short snippets and a lot more of my analysis every single morning. So definitely sign up there. Um, and yeah, and also consider just, uh, signing up for Roic at a couple Building so much there, help support the content. And just I'm doing so much content on both public and Roic and uh, trying my best. So thank you so much. I will see you at the very latest next Thursday, same time, same place. And be on the lookout for more videos. If you're interested in the Coinbase one, uh, it's my last video I've uploaded. Just, you know, you know where to find me, a couple cents, uh, YouTube channel. Until next time, follow me on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and uh, I'll see you next time.